Hello and welcome to the first episode of Season 9 of Modern Day Philosophers. Welcome everybody, I'm Danny Lobel, I'm your host, and I am in rehab. I'm rehabilitating, I'm in an eating disorder program as I talked about at the end of the Ralphie May episode, last episode. I'm taking care of myself, I'm trying to live. So I'm not doing much else, including trying to get ads for this podcast. So right now, it's completely listener-supported, which means it's up to you guys. If you want to help, I'd really appreciate it. But there isn't any other income coming in from this right now because I've put everything else on pause. So if you want to donate, go to moderndayphilosophers.net. And other than that, enjoy this great conversation with the legendary comedian George Wallace, one of my favorites. And by the way... We did this a few months ago in a hotel by LAX, and uh, you could tell it's timestamped because it's before the Cosby guilty verdict came out, and uh, that's not much else to say about it except that I really enjoyed talking to George Wallace. It was a great pleasure, and uh, a special thank you to Mark Schiff, the great comedian Mark Schiff, who put us in touch, uh, my good friend, and uh, I really hope you like this. So without further ado, except for the intro song, here's my talk with the legendary comedian, George Wallace. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Modern Day Philosophers. Modern Day Philosophers. Having failed to pay attention in school, Danny Lobel, now older and wiser, will attempt to learn basic philosophy 101. Our young hero will be joined by today's top comedians, philosophers all their own. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Danny Lobel! Modern Day Philosophers. I'm sitting in the Sheraton by LAX with a legendary comedian who I've been a fan of for a great many years. And oh, good morning. Good morning. Good evening. Uh, good afternoon. I don't know what it is. The Reverend George Wallace, as I believe you first went on stage. That's 30 years ago. 35, 40 years ago. Can yeah. you believe that? Yeah. So we're here today. <laughs> And we're here in Los Angeles overlooking the airport runway, which I love. Yeah. And uh, it's a beautiful day, and I don't know what we're going to talk about, but let's do it. We were put in touch with by a mutual friend, uh, Mark Schiff. The great Dr. Mark Schiff. We started together back in New York in 1976. I think he started a few years later, but uh, it's uh, we're all brothers in this uh, little fraternity called Funny. At the comic strip, right? At the comic strip, New York, 2nd Avenue. Where I started as well. Really? Uh, yeah, Richie Tinkin yeah. brought me in. I think he brought you in as well. Yeah, I'm one of the first guys there, day one. Yeah. So tell me about day one at the comic strip. Well, at that time, I was actually uh, not even a I was a wannabe comedian. And I was selling advertising. I was vice president of the world's largest outdoor advertising agency, uh, which was called Metro Media at the time, which now is the Fox organization. And then I was working for a guy named Douglas Lee, who invented the falling ball, uh, crystal ball, at Times Square. So I was vice president of that company, and I sold all of that advertising, all the billboards and spectaculars in New York City at Times Square, all the 5,000 buses in New York City, and the 10 top markets in America. So I sold ad space, and I just went by the comic strip. I knew it was a new club, mm -hmm. and I had those buses in New York City going up and down 2nd and 1st, 3rd Avenue on the east side. Let me put them on the back of the bus. Eat, drink, and be merry. Eat, drink, and laugh. I think I had it. Oh, yeah. And uh, with the pie in the face. And so I said, let me put your business in the street, and let me let the community know about this new place. And sure enough, it worked out. And as I was leaving, I said, by the way, I do a little comedy act myself. And uh -huh. I said, well, come back in tomorrow night. That was a Thursday night, and I've been on stage since then. So you'd been doing advertising for a while at that point? Only or you were fairly years, new to only it? Only four years, but I was good. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. I sold rags when I first got out of college. Rags? When I left the you know, rags, R-A-G-G-S. Real rags. People go, rags? Yeah, rags to riches. Uh, real rags. You'd be surprised how many people need rags. Funeral home needs rags. Uh, Repair shops need rags. Dentists need rags. Everybody need a rag. You'd be surprised how much money I made. I made one day. I made my first day of big money. I made like three thousand dollars in a day, in an hour actually, wow. at a place called Earl Scheib. Is that the paint company? They were sure they, they they paint cars, so uh-huh. they needed a, dis, a, a rag, and I sold them a disposable cloth. I sold the Sham Wow back in 1976. Can you get me in on this rag scam? Uh, <laughs> well, it's still out there. You'd be surprised people make rags, and yeah. I'm, sh- I'm sure you heard of the man that sells screws and 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 snap-on tools and things like that. I sold they light make, bulbs door to door. Jerry Seinfeld sold light bulbs, I, but he sold them industrially, so like on the telephone, selling people they didn't even know. Uh-huh. Yeah. I, I sold them business to business as a door to door salesman on the Upper East Side. That's how I wound up uh, at the comic strip going by, similar to you. So you, you did know? the same thing I did. Yeah. Yeah, you just going by and go, hey, <laughs> sell some light bulbs in here and do some comedy at the same time. I didn't try to sell them the bulbs. I just was already, like, had comedy ambitions, and I passed the comic strip when I was on my bulb route. And I was okay. like, okay, I got to go in there and try. Uh, how about that? Life is amazing, right? Yeah. It's a different <laughs> path for everybody. Aren't you glad you were selling bulbs on 2nd Avenue that day? Yeah. See? I, <laughs> that's great. I'm glad I was just driving by. There's a new comedy club. Well, let me introduce myself. Mm-hmm. It should have worked out for both of us. Yeah. So, how, how big of a family? Uh, did you have siblings or? Uh, tons. Mm-hmm. No, I'm, I'm a baby boy of seven. I'm a mistake baby. My oldest brother's like seven years older than I am. Mm-hmm. So, I'm a mistake baby. They go, whoo. Uh, but uh, greatest family in the world. I read somewhere your your parents passed away when you were sixteen and eighteen. Sixteen and eighteen, mom, dad, yeah. mom passed away at uh, when I was a young kid, uh, not even out of high school. Wow. But the last, I was thinking about it yesterday. Last thing she said to me was, "I'm going to the hospital, baby." Uh, she said, "I won't be back, but uh, your life is going to be okay. It's already it's made for you." And I thought, just my mom's sick, she didn't go to the hospital and come back just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. But she knew what she was talking about. And as far as life, I'm the most blessed person you've ever met. I got everything I want and do anything I want to do and uh, go anywhere I want to go, and life is good. I'm living my dream. I wanted to be a comedian since six years old. That's all I do. love to go to work. Get sick when I don't go. Yeah, you work constantly, too. I know that. Constantly. I was on stage last night. Still got my yellow pad from last night doing jokes. How about that? That's great. Doing new jokes. on. I was trying to do some jokes on uh, Beverly Hills, how uppity they are. That's been a long-time joke about they're so uppity in Beverly Hills that uh, the street is called Rodeo, but you know in the black neighborhood it's called Rodeo, right? So, and uh, it was just, just a true story. Now, just even yesterday, I was driving in Beverly Hills. Uh-huh. Most neighborhoods, if you drive through a neighborhood, they try to slow the traffic down. Uh-huh. It's as uh, caution bumps in road, speed bumps. Beverly Hills, it says humps. That's how fancy they are over in Beverly Hills. <laughs> and then, <laughs> you know, it's just different. Just writing jokes and talking about typical things in Los Angeles, and yeah, uh, life is just so good, you know. Now, do you feel that you're able to make certain breakthroughs after continuously writing and writing? You always have this legal pad on you. Yes. And um, do you do you see yourself making new connections with jokes that you weren't able to make before? Are there are there changes going on? It's still the same as having fun on stage. And when you have fun, uh, they won't let you have fun alone. No sir, they would join in and laugh with you. And I'm at a point where people know me. I guess it's my personality. Uh, if the joke is not good, they tend to love it. 
because I'll say, like, ooh, joke needs work. And I go off mm-hmm. the page, you know, just a joke number one, needs work. Yeah. Work real good, work real good. Then I'll do say, I'll have a joke, and the joke's real funny. Audience sucks, and they love that, too. And when <laughs> I go into my real material, they will tell me, go back to the pad. Let's try some new jokes, you know. And I like that. So I, I find um, coming has always been the same as just building jokes. Yeah. And uh, you continue to do that, and you tend to stay relevant and talking about what's happening today. And certainly if you can't laugh today, you can never laugh with this supposed to be president. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sure. So you just have so many jokes on him, my goodness. I, I remember I once talked to, I, I, I interviewed George Carlin a few times. George Carlin? Yes, sir. You want to talk about smart? Yeah. Well, one thing he said was uh, when Sam Kinison hit that he comedically raised his voice. Like he changed... Uh, were there times when you cha- raised your voice over the years? You know, that does happen. I'm, so, I'm, 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 I'm sorry you said George Carlin told you that, because anytime you mention his name, I get like, oh, my God. Because as through my years, I found him to be probably the most prolific writer, smartest guy ever. Yeah. If you want to be a comedian, you think you've thought of something. He had a book called Brain Droppings. Right, yeah. Don't read it. Not as a comedian. Don't read it. Too it's late. not good. <laughs> Too late. It's done already. Yeah. I thought I was being smart one day, you know, on the television. I always said, operators are standing by. Yeah. And I'm reading the book. Done. Everything you could think of, done. I read about 10 pages. Put it down. <laughs> Put it down. I don't want to hear one more th- idea I thought I had. Yeah. And especially comedy is so, it's changing, but it's still the same. I'm, all comedians' job is to take a subject, do A, B, a, B, three, or one, two, C. There's a switch at the end. You take a story, uh-huh. and switch at the end, and that's all we do. So basically all of us are thinking the same thing. I'm sure I got a joke just like yours somewhere. Yeah. It could be, I don't care what the subject is. Everybody's got a joke similar. Yeah, I remember uh, going back to the comic strip. Do you remember, remember Lucian? Yeah, of course. I remember yeah, he, he was in the club. Once yeah. he came up with his arms folded, he always walked around and goes, you know, there are only four jokes in comedy. And then he walked away and he came back and said, maybe three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lucian, what a great guy he was. Yeah. Pissed a lot of people off, though, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got to admit, I was one of them because yeah. I didn't, he was the guy who was bringing people into the club at the time. I didn't know when I got in, and I got in through Richie Tinkin, you got in through the, the, boss, the yeah. owner, and he felt like I went around him, but I didn't even know that there Ooh. was a different system. So he never liked me. I was always trying to win him over, but I was not successful. He was a good guy, but he was not a comedian. And he guided a lot of people in the wrong direction. to give a lot of people a lot of bad advice. You're not good for this. A lot of comedians can tell you, very good comedians today, Lucian told them they were not good. Mm-hmm. You can never tell a comedian not good. If you're a comedian, you're going to be a comedian no matter what. So for me coming from the marketing world, I realize and I know that whatever you do, there's going to be a market for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's the comedians you may not even like, but they put asses in the seats. So somebody likes what you do, and you should just say, if you don't think a person is not right, that's not your job to tell them to get out of comedy. Right. Just keep, okay, maybe you're not right for this club. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't like that he was he was negative, I felt. You Pretty know. much 90% of the time, right? Yeah. Did he laugh a lot? I didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved him. He was a good friend of mine. Yeah. I guess he loved me, huh? Well, I ran the club, uh, so I was one of those first guys that— uh, Made the club work. So, mm-hmm. so I guess he, we grew up together, I guess, in comedy. I love the club. I, yeah. I always felt really at home there. It has a homey vibe with the wood walls and everything. and just feels like 
It's special. There's like, something very special about exactly. it. You know? And that, well, it's it's the last club in New York City, the last original club, is it not? That was the improv, that was Sketch Writing Star, and then mm-hmm. that was a comic strip. Yeah, that's and the, the last the comic strip still those, Yeah, mm-hmm. That's my home club. So you got to work with a lot of great people that I want to talk to you about. So I know you got to, to write for Red Fox. I just left the meeting with Norman Lear yesterday. That's why I'm here, dude. No kidding. That's why I'm here, yeah. There's a possibility we're talking about a reboot of that. Oh, wow. And uh, not necessarily the junkyard or anything like that, but just the name. Mm-hmm. And we had a great idea, and he loved it. 95 years old man. Oh, my God. Because I worked for him back in 1993, I think. He had a show after uh, All in the Family and... The Jeffersons and Mods, all those shows he produced. He had a show called 704 Houser Street. That was an extra neighbor to the to the um, All in the Family. Uh-huh. Um, Edith and, uh, what was his name? Edith and Archie. Archie, yeah. Uh-huh. So um, he's still sharp. He's Norman is. Yeah. Norman Lear, 95 years old. Still sharp, still, uh-huh. still smart. He rebooted a show called um, One Day at a Time. They premiered it last night or two nights ago. Uh-huh. And now it's a Latino family. So we went in with the idea, it's time to maybe reboot Sanford and Son, because still today, Red may be gone, but I love him because that's the first job I had writing a Red Fox show. But when you hear Red, immediately you go, you don't even have to hear Red, but did it. Yeah. So it doesn't matter what the show is or what it might be. Uh, I gotta show you something right here. I gotta... You're gonna surprise me with something, huh? I ran into a guy the other day who looked exactly like Red Fox. Oh, that is nice, isn't it? Look at that. Hey, he used to be a comedian, didn't he? This guy? I don't think so. That looked so. like a guy who used to be out of Los Angeles. He looked like a guy that used to be a comedian. Thomas or something like that. What's this guy's name? I, I don't know his name. I just saw him at the tailor. Oh, dummy. I, I said, oh, man, you know, you look like he goes, I know, Red Fox. Yeah, people yeah. told him, I guess. They should yeah. dye his hair red. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Red Fox was a great guy to work for and watch. And as a comedian, as a kid, I grew up with the records. They were called party records back in the day. Mm-hmm. So he's one of the first guys I listened to. I, I, I thought I said uh, I'm in the business also because of Red Skelton. Red Skelton, Red Button, Red Fox. You just attracted to the color red. And, and Pinky Lee. People, <laughs> all people of color. That's exactly. <laughs> you're ahead of me. See who I'm telling you about jokes? See, you're ahead of me. Oh, my apologies. I, I didn't it mean pisses to... you off when people do your... <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there's not much out on... I think Red Skeleton erased his entire library, right? Like, there's not much you can find of him. But there's a lot, though. I have, like, a collection. I'm having, uh, you know, he died about, what, 10 years ago? And I have a collection of, these are VHS. What do you go? Tapes. These are tapes. Uh-huh. <laughs> they're, not, they're not CDs or DVDs. <laughs> so I got about eight of those uh-huh. in my house in New York City, which caught fire today. It was on the news. The Majestic is on fire. I'm sorry. Even in, well, not my house. It's my building. And we have, like, four towers in my building. And... Um, was another tower and i'm just because i'm so stupid i'm going if it burns up my place i get a whole new place to rebuild you know it's, yeah yeah that's how stupid comedians think but you well, lose the vhs's oh so you brought that up yeah you gotta be okay thank you so much <laughs> thank you but it's oh my god there's a lot of comedy material in there about 20 of these pads yeah and all of the jokes i've done on radio when i did radio in new york city Oh, my God. Thank you so much. No, we don't need a house to burn now. Yeah, don't let it burn. How long does it take for you to fill a pad like this? It actually takes about six months. Because I write down ideas and I write the material to other places. And I just put down the, the subject matter here. Can I see how, uh, of course how a you page can. looks? Of course you can. I've this heard is, about these This pads, is a brand new so pad. I, I, yeah, I have one. And, of course, Jerry has one. And uh, we've been uh, roommates, so we grew up together. 
So, so may I read from it? So of course, you, you can't read my writing, dude. I can't read it. How could you read it? Steve Harvey, one, BBB, putting out fires. Oh, that's, that's, that's Steve Harvey morning show. That's a radio show. Okay. There's a comedian on by the name of Jan Denny Brown, and his mom is Miss Butterbean Brown, so that's the BBB. Uh-huh. And I was talking, we always talking about each other's mother. And his mom was so fat, I was saying we want to congratulate her because <laughs> we just had the fires out in California two weeks ago. And yeah. she was helping put out the fires. You know, they had put on a helicopter and drag over to the ocean. Mm-hmm. And, and she would just dip her ass in the water. She'd fill up. <laughs> and she'd come back. And she'd pee all over the fire. You know? Well, actually, it came out of her ass. So it was like an animal for the world. But we want to thank her for, for putting out those fires. You got <laughs> You know, people who do it in all different ways. Exactly. So it was kind of like zip line and um, and then girls girls trip, and she was on just just water everywhere, just flooding. So, so that's that was for the radio show. So that was my notes for it. But if you go through, you'll see some other things, like two or three pages down jokes that I did last night. There you go. Jerry Seinfeld, first time on stage. It says. Well, first time on stage, I did a bit about the, the street names, and Jerry Seinfeld was talking about. Uh, they always asked me about him. Me being his best friend for 40 years. And, and roommate, right? And roommate for 13 years and, and, and best man in this wedding and father, his kids. And we just go down and just talk on how rich he is and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just living with, I'm rich, but he's like rich, 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 rich. You know, like uh-huh. you get to his house and uh, uh, especially the house on Long Island, you get to the gate and you punch in the security code and Waze is still giving you direction to the house. That's how big. And as for in 2,000 feet, <laughs> you want to reach your destination. So those are jokes about about him, so I have to know which way. When I go on stage, because I don't have a, a certain set, uh-huh. so I just have to be prepared for everything. You, you've done a lot of your mama jokes, right? For Tons, the they years. call me the king of your mama jokes. Yeah. yeah, I have one that I actually did early on, and I'm I'm bringing it back because I'm doing a show in a in Edinburgh at the festival this. Are you summer. going over there? Yeah, I went That's last great. year and it went really well. So they invited you back. I yeah, I, I wrote well, a whole. What are you new doing sh- on your mama joke? They do them over there. So well, I have one joke about this whole this one I'm doing is about being overweight, and I of wanted course. to do like an honest show about it instead okay. of like, you know, Straight I just ahead. lost. A, I used to open for a great comedian, Ralphie May. Okay. And he passed away this year. And I'm, I'm his uncle. Oh yeah, he called me Uncle George always. Yes, he's a sweet guy. Yeah, I did a stage with him. I went to visit him in San Diego. Yeah, bam, he put me right on stage. He's so good. He's got. I don't know why I put that motherfucker on in front of me. That's how good. <laughs> <laughs> he just. He's a good guy. He was in Las Vegas at the time. You know when he. Uh, it's the last show performances in Las Vegas. So yeah, good guy yeah. laughing me. So you did your mama. You're so big and. Oh no! I just I wanted to, you know, I lost him and and I it's. You know, I lost another friend years ago, Patrice O'Neill. Also, I was with him them, two weeks before he died. Yeah, right in front of the comedy cellar. He was. He talked to me for an hour, getting advice on comedy. What a great guy he was. Yeah, you're just talking about old big people now, aren't you? So, well, they, they, just, they both died from being overweight. I don't think I, I want to talk to you anymore. I, I, because you, you're not. Me. I don't think. I don't think you qualify. Yes, I do. I don't know. You're. You're yes, just. You're just. Uh, you're just. Slightly in the door of fat. You Is know. That right? you're not, <laughs> You could still leave anytime. <laughs> so I mean, like I, I, these guys died, and it really got me thinking, and, and and it got me upset because I feel like, you know, I I I think it's addiction, you know, being overweight. I don't think it's dealt with the right way. I think people have a completely wrong idea about it, and um, probably so. Yeah, it's an addiction. It's, it may not be. It's not. It's not a choice. I don't think. 
No. It could be a choice for some people, but in other people, it's not a choice. People just say things like, hey, why don't you just stop eating hamburgers or something like that? Like it's yeah, Why don't you stop eating a hamburger? <laughs> why don't you stop eating a salad? If you're <laughs> vegan, whatever, why don't you make a change? To, to me, I'm just like a Coke addict with, with readily available drugs on every corner. You know, it's it's that's how I feel with, with sugar, with weight, with food. So I wanted to write a show that was funny and honest about that. So I'm also bringing back all my fat jokes from my career that I can revive to work in. Okay. And one of them, I had this one joke about your mom is so fat from when, my, when I was a kid, my parents sent me to Weight Watchers meetings. And I was the only kid there. It was all old, older <laughs> women. I was like, they're the ones who were feeding me. I don't know why they sent me. <laughs> that's why they're right. That's they're the ones that are feeding you. So I, I, I was never late yeah. <laughs> for a meeting. But, but, but the joke that, was, that I did about that was just how I could never, uh, I knew too much about everybody's mama. So when everyone was throwing around, your mama's so fat jokes, I knew the mamas. Knew the, exactly. I'd be like, your mama's so fat that she's got hypertension, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and she's pre-diabetic. Pretty soon they're going to have to amputate her leg. They go, that's not fun. <laughs> that, that was pushing the line there. <laughs> so then when it gets true, people get pissed off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So that's how we started when we were kids. And we yeah. would do all of your mama jokes, and all of a sudden somebody would say something that was true. I saw your mama last night with Mr. Odell down there, bro. <laughs> you know, tell me, why you do that? Then that's yeah. when the fight would start, because you get into true stuff, you know. And that's how I do the jokes on stage. People tell me a mama joke, and I hold it. You're not supposed to be doing true shit now. And the, and the audience just goes crazy when I say, you're not supposed to be doing true shit. That's true. <laughs> right. But it, it's yeah. fun, you know. Yeah, yeah. That was a, an art we did when we were kids. But Arsenio Hall and Will Smith, we put that back on the map back in like 1994, start talking about your mama, your mama this, your mama that. Because we did it when I was in school in the 60s. Yeah. But we brought it back to, and the kids went crazy. They wrote books. They did everything. Your mama joke. And they still do them. What was the guy named? Wilma? Uh, he even had a show called Your Mama. He was on that oh, 70s right. show. Well, yeah. Valderrama? That's the, what I was trying to say. Yeah. 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 It's a tough one. That's yeah. a tough name to just go with Wilma. Wilma. Yeah. So you're constantly, constantly writing, even after all these years. This is a great notebook. I mean, it, it makes me feel like, you know, I don't even know what I'm doing with my life. Because, Nobody knows. Uh, no comedian knows what you're doing. That's why you have to constantly. <laughs> I just, you know, I have a, a phone. I have an iPhone. I, can, yeah. I have notes in the phone, but that's just a. When you write it down, that's just my way. And uh, there's no right way to do it. But I just like to jot it down. You tend to remember more, I think, if you jot this, the, if you write it out. Hmm. But there's a different system for everybody. Do you write your jokes out? I, I stopped. I start, only do it on the iPhone now, and, uh, and maybe I'll go back to the pad. Well, if it no, what works for you works for you. But you do retain more, be it not jokes or anything, when you write it down do retain more and um if you read it it ain't funny mm -hmm. but i mean if somebody else reads it it's not funny but sure, to yeah. you you know where the intonations or whatever the key words there yeah i mean it's amazing you've been so many years doing it and uh and still pushing yourself and doing it. it it's i was just talking about this with another comedian this morning about like how you know bill cosby went back on stage the other night yes two nights ago really? you know he's been free so long i think he learned to play the piano they say he played piano at the at the at the concert the other night it wasn't country whatever it was a club or something like that yeah he's been off so long uh, he can learn how to play the flute he's gonna play the flute in a few months when <laughs> he's sitting in jail <laughs> Well, we were just like, there's no, there's no end to it, you know. You, you could have the whole world feel like the whole world's against you. You're like, I still got to get on stage. 
for Bill Cosby to still get up there, I mean, it, that's, it's once you're in, you're in. No, you just mentioned the word addiction. That's all you know how to do. You're addicted. You're, this is, as I tell everybody, this is better than drugs. It's better than sex. There's nothing better than going on stage making people happy. And when, you, when I see happy people, it makes me happier. So addicted, oh, I'm hooked. Yeah. I'm hooked to the day I die. You know, you ever been sick? You ever been in the hospital, go to the hospital for anything? Have yeah. you ever gone to the hospital for anything? Oh, sure. And the doctor, even when you don't feel good and you're talking to the doctor, for somewhere a joke comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't matter. They're taking your blood pressure, whatever. They say something, I mind it's a joke. Especially at the doctor, I Especially feel like. At the doctor. Because we want to impress them, I think. <laughs> you know, the, no, they're a just, doctor, we want to be like, look, I'm not useless here. I don't know. Maybe that's on my head. Well, you know, you're thinking, I'm better than you. I make people happy. <laughs> All you do is tend to people that are sick. Mm-hmm. We're, we're doctors. When people come to us, to our office, for an office visit, yeah. they always feel better when they leave us. Always. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't always feel better when they leave the doctor's office because they got to go get a prescription. We gave you the prescription right on the spot and gave you the medicine. Take this. I brought you a copy of my album. This is Look at the first track. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Dr. Like Daniel LaBelle. LaBelle. How about that? See? Yeah. It's just that it's medicine. Yeah. Well, you know, that's even in the Bible, laughter is healing for the soul. Um, nothing beats laughter. It's number one in everything. Are you a spiritual person? Very much so. I'm just going to tell you, even when you go to a funeral, I speak at a lot of funerals because I have a large family. Both my grandmothers had like 21 kids, and that's 42 kids. And that's a big family. And, you know, we see, I saw my grandma. My grandmother, like two weeks ago, she's pregnant right now, but that's just, no, no, but (laughs) even during the time of death, if you go to funerals now, uh, if it's a memorial or whatever, uh, it's jokes. You got to laugh. No matter what you do, you got to, you got to laugh. I guarantee you, if you go turn your TV on right now and Trump is on, some joke is going to pop up in your head, even if it's just asshole. But laughter is so important in life. When you stop laughing, you stop living. Yeah. That's why I wrote the book called Laugh It Off. No matter what to say, I don't care whether you're in a business or financial, dealing with your kids, dealing with your education, dealing with whatever, laugh it off. So so talking about the funerals, uh, I wanted to go back to, to, if it's okay with you, to talking about you losing your parents and how that affected you. And, <laughs> They're dead. Yeah. They're gone. <laughs> my, my. Mother's Day is coming up pretty soon. My Father's Day. I always like to go to Father's Day. Yeah. Put flowers on my daddy's grave. I never like to do it because, you know, he still owes me for cutting the grass. So <laughs> I don't get along with him. But, yeah, I talk about death. Yeah. All the time. All the time. No problem. So what were you asking me about losing my parents? Losing your parents. I wanted to know, like... How that affected you and how it affects you still today, because that's a traumatic thing to lose both parents within two years. But, but there's a reason for everything. I love my parents. I had the greatest parents in the world, but I think had they lived, I may not have accomplished this goal. Because I was like, I told you, I was seven years uh, removed from my next brother. I was a baby boy. I think I might have stayed in Atlanta and tried to go to college and, and become what everybody else does, you know, because you got to please your mom. They were not educated, so they didn't have the, they didn't push me in any way. But there's a reason for everything in life. I wanted to be a comedian since six years old and went off to college at 17. Your dad was a butcher? He was a butcher. A swifting company. The butterball people. Uh-huh. But he was just, but then we had, that was one of the top jobs in Atlanta for a black man. And we had everything. We never, I've never been hungry a day in my life. 
and you haven't either. <laughs> well, you may have. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, I think I've been hungry yeah, too many too days in my life. Yeah, yeah. but, but uh, yeah, I had the greatest parents in the world. I wish they were here today. I hope that they're probably looking down on me. People always say that. You don't know what the hell people are doing. They're dead. Mm-hmm. They're dead. Yeah, I know my dad is up in heaven looking down on me right now. Yeah, hopefully they, they're, they've got other things to do, except just sit and watch like we're fish. And, and then fish sometimes you're doing dinner. things... I hope they're not watching me now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> you're knocking over furniture and yeah, stuff. You knocked just knocked over my table. That's okay. The maid will get it. <laughs> so um, yeah, losing your parents can be traumatic, but your job is to continue life and continue to have fun, no matter what. Were you living with your folks when they passed away? My, yeah, yeah. Well, my my mom, because that was my last year of high school. And, but uh, then I had gone off to college. I was in college when my dad passed away. So, but uh, it was a good life with him. I had everything I could ask for. Like I said, we weren't poor or anything like that. But that was it. You were on your own from that point, huh? Yeah, I've been on my own since uh, since 17. And, uh, Do you think that attributes to the fact that you work so hard because you realize, you know, there's there's nothing, to, there's nobody, there's no cushion to go back to. You're you have to you have to be your own. I think there's an in you. Factor, no matter who you are, in you. You got to have that thing in you. Yeah. And have that in you, in you. Yeah. And you just, it's something you want to do and nothing can stop you. Like I tell uh, young comics today, uh, they, it's, you can't be a wanna come, you can't be a wannabe comedian. It's, I gotta be. Because mm-hmm. if you wanna be, you can just, you know, it's all, this, this life is so, so much bullshit that comes along with being uh, in show business. But when you gotta be, you can put up with all the bullshit that comes along with it. I gotta be. This there's, there's no choice. Mm-hmm. So the guys that make it, they just have that in you. It's in you. Like I'm ready to go to work now. I've been working for 41 years. But you've always been a self-sustained person since then. It's just been totally. you, on, you on your own. Totally. Even going to Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. Went in Las Vegas for 30 days on my own. Did not work for the for the hotels. I did not work for the hotels. I owned the show. I rented the room at the Flamingo, 750 seats a night. Uh, this has never happened. Don't you ever try it? It's stupid. But I've always wanted to. Always wor- worked on commission. Even even when I sold advertising and rags, I worked on commission. Yeah. So going into Las Vegas for thirty days, that's how this works. I didn't take a dime of the money. Sixty days, didn't take a dime. Put it back in advertising. Put your business in the streets. Because you had an advertising background. Ah, that's the only way yes. you can do it if you know the business part of it. Uh-huh. Nobody I would advise nobody to go to Las Vegas unless you have a salary and the people like it. Like they're asking me to come back now. Mm-hmm. I said, I'll do it for salary, but I'm not doing any marketing. I'm not doing any advertising or nothing. The PR, I'm not doing it. I won't pay for any of that. Because my advertising budget alone was like a million five a year Wow! in Las Vegas. So it's a lot of work, but that's something I want to do. It's no problem. I do the work during the day, went to every hotel, shook hands with every concierge, come to the show, come see the show. That was my marketing niche. Mm-hmm. And I made tons of money. I was there for 10 years. And some idiot goes on stage one night and says, okay, we've been here for 10 years. Let's go back. The world misses you. Let's go back out on the world. That's my best friend, Mr. Seinfeld. Mm -hmm. And we tend to manage each other. And sure enough, after 10 years, that was it. So I went back out on the road. Started doing more television and movies. And and, because I missed the whole generation being in Las Vegas for 10 years. So now I have the young kids that I built up. I'm like... Papa Earl with Zendaya on the TV show, Disney show called um, Casey Undercover. And yeah, I did that. I did, just did a movie with Morgan Freeman. Just did a movie with uh, 
Chevy Chase and Richard Dreyfuss that's in the can called The Last Laugh. Just did a movie with Sonar Latham uh, called Napoli Ever After down in Atlanta. Mm -hmm. I just did a TV show series called um, Funny You Should Ask, a new game show with Byron Allen. That's out. Uh, I'm hosting for two years coming up soon, uh, coming to the stage, bringing up young comedians on stage. What else? Just so much of it. So you keep, keep them busy. Yes. So life is good. But you, you must be an expert at spending time on your own after all these years. I do. I travel anywhere. I could wake up tomorrow and go to Hawaii. What What's the trick to being on your own? How, how do you How do you stay positive? The way you stay positive is just have fun. Make you enjoy your life. Make sure you enjoy your life. That's most important. I teach young kids that. Travel while you're young. Do everything you want to do. But make sure you're having fun. Even if you got just because just because you got a degree in marketing. Marketing doesn't mean you got to do statistical analysis the rest of your life. You might enjoy arranging flowers or painting cars. Make sure you enjoy your life. And if when you in, when you enjoy what you're doing, you don't have a job. But the money will come. The money will come. What were you like as a kid? Always telling jokes, having fun. Not the class clown. I was too smart for that. But I enjoyed friends. Enjoyed making people happy. Enjoyed traveling. My father was a traveler. We'd get in the car and drive all over the place. And, and this is in the 1950s, you were in the 1950s, yeah. yeah. Yeah, in Atlanta, Georgia. Was there a, a lot of racism kid. there at that time? I was in Atlanta. Atlanta's different than any other city. That's why the movie showed Driving Miss Daisy was different. Mm -hmm. Atlanta, and uh, growing up in Atlanta, uh, I'm fortunate to have been at Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s funeral. And uh, Wow. Yeah, I, I'm the most blessed person. Tell, me, been tell me about that. Uh, well, I was in college in Ohio, 1968. He died. Of course, my aunt lived across the street from him on Auburn Avenue in Atlanta, and he was the greatest leader in the world. So I had to leave college and and go back to the funeral because Southern people love to go to funerals, right? So I went to the funeral, and somebody presented presented me. I shouldn't have this gum in my mouth, but somebody presented me with a photo of the funeral, and I said, "I was at that funeral. Uh -huh. I was across the street. I had all those big shots down there. I, I couldn't get in with them, but." Uh, I was at that funeral, man, and I was across the street on a pole. I remember I couldn't get on the telephone pole. I was on a little pole next to it. Uh -huh. And I said, I was at that funeral. They went in the back room, and they blew the picture up. And sure enough, I was in tears because I never knew perhaps that I could be in any photo from Dr. King. And I'm going to show you this if I can find it. I got a brand new iPhone 10. Yeah. I can't work it worth a shit. I'm tapping it. I'm doing every. There it is right there, maybe. And I'm going to show you me at Dr. King's funeral. I think it might pop up here. Yes, that was great to have, to have been there. And it was a small picture before. You just saw it. That's down front. That's Simon Davis Jr. Yeah. That's Eartha Kitt. That's uh, Nancy Wilson. Uh, Motown guy it was uh, Gordy Barry Gordy, and and the guy, the white guy getting out of the car is uh, Marlon Brando. Oh wow! But if you look way across the street and blow up the picture, that's me and the little white shirt standing on the white pole. <laughs> look at that! People say, "Why were you looking at other ways?" I'm trying not to fall off that damn pole. <laughs> but I did not know that until they blew that picture that's up. Something. They blew it up, and I'm going. <gasps> That's me on the pole. I can't believe that. I went to the museum in uh, Memphis 
That was an emotional yes. experience. I'm going there April 2 through 4. We have, he spoke at my church. All of that stuff comes together. The last speech, going to the mountaintop, the last speech I, he made was at my church. And were you there? No, no, but I'm going back to see it for the 50th anniversary. Uh-huh. I've been up in, matter of fact, I have had photos of me at the same pulpit. Isn't that amazing? You just keep bringing up things that make me, I'm so blessed to have been in all of these places. Uh, Dr. King, you know, I've been in the, talking about major things happening in my life. I've been on the Great Wall of China. I've been in the, what Nelson Mandela was incarcerated for 27 years. I was in that cell over in South Africa, Robben Island. Mm-hmm. I've been so many places, man. That's why I'm so blessed to have done everything I could ever want to do. And what do you still want to do? I had a problem with that because my goal was to work Las Vegas and headline Las Vegas. I never wanted to be in a TV star, movie star, anything like that. My goal, and I'm going, ah, I accomplished my goal. What am I going to do now? Shit. So now I got to come up with something new. Recalibrate. But I tell you what, I do like to do more than anything else. I still go on that stage every night, and I do it. Yeah. And I'm one of the guys that's still going. I'm on tour right now with Samoa, Mike Epps, Earthquake, some of these, because my audience is usually mixed. And now I'm going into heavily black. I'm one of the few guys can work any crowd. Young, yeah. old, black, white, doesn't matter. I'm up in the mountains, Jewish, I can go anywhere. And I just love working. And you know, my name is not as big as a lot of people, but enough people know me to satisfy my little ego. Mm-hmm. Had a conversation one day with uh, Seinfeld and uh, uh, white-haired guy, CNN. Uh, Anderson Cooper. Anderson Cooper. We are talking about, is it better to be rich or famous? Back and forth. And well, you know, I pretty much have it better than both of you guys. I can do anything you, you guys do. Got enough money. I could retire tomorrow. I could do anything, but I can go pee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, enough people know me to satisfy my little ego. I can go pee. You guys can't go pee. Even when you guys walk out of the house in the morning, there's a camera on you. Right. You go. So I love my life. I wouldn't life. like that. I have I, to, if yeah. you think about it, right? I would not like that. I, I've, I've said it to my wife. Like, I want to I wanna hit a point. I want to be George Wallace famous. That's that's really what <laughs> but I want. You know, it's pretty cool. I got all the money I need. Yeah. And do anything I want to do. I bought everything. I got 17 houses, 17 properties around the world. What more do I need? I need one thing. The stage. Microphone. People. Let's do this. Many years from now, God willing, when you pass, how do you want to be remembered? If I die tomorrow, the world owes me nothing. Uh, we're trying to figure out what we're going to put on my... Uh, on the, on, the, on the stone. I hope you had a good time like I did. It's something like that. Because I'm, I'm going to put on Seinfeld's headstone. You know, he tried everything. You know, <laughs> he's tried yoga. He's tried all of the diets, every diet you could think of. He's done tennis. He tried everything. This diet, that diet. Yeah. You know, he tried everything. So, but uh, people can remember me as just... Uh, the guy that brought fun, brought funny to life. I just love people, love life, love having a good time. When I walk in, if you walk into a room, if you walk into any room, and, and if you don't cause a reason for people to smile, you're not good people. That's when they say, speaking of the devil. <laughs> <laughs> but you should do that. Everybody should uh, live to enjoy life and each other. Yeah, I think of you in that way. I think of you as a joyous you know, I, one of the reasons I was so excited to meet you is because you beam positivity when I see you on screen. I mean, this guy looks like fun, you know? Ooh, isn't that great? So, yeah. Thank you. 
Thank you. And just knowing that, just hearing that. Okay, good. You just made my day. Good, good. Yeah, you just made my <laughs> then day. Then I did my job. I did my job, too. My job is to go out and make people happy. My job is to do also do unto others as you have to do unto you. I can't stand discriminatory practices or hate in any way. You know, like what's going on in the country today, dividing people. I can't stand. I'm hating people now. I've never done that before. Mm -hmm. I'm hating people just because. Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't fit you. Not at all. But yeah. you see what's happening in America and people are. And I disengage from it. I don't want to get sucked into it. Not at all. It's like, and people are. How do you follow somebody if you know they're lying and you still tend to stick with them, you know? Right. So you're part of the problem also. Because I disengage? No, I'm talking about if you like. Let's, oh, let's say the you're saying the, those people. Those are. people, yeah. yeah, yeah. So you're part of the problem, also. You cannot back a liar. You cannot support. A, that's the word. Support a liar. Uh, somebody you know that's done something wrong. If you're causing damage to the world. A friend of mine is asking me, "How can you stay positive with all this stuff going on?" And, and I said, "Well, that's exactly it. I don't. I know." I'm not going to change it. I'm not a revolutionary. I know that about myself. I'm not right. the guy who's going to change the world in that way. Right. But I can just try and change myself and try and so change a few others. people around me. Exactly. And I'm like a little ripple, like the, the stone that creates the ripples. Ripple. Somebody else can, can get in there and change everything. But I'll just try and affect positively like my little and circle. And everybody ride your little ripples. Yeah, yeah. That's, you're doing the right thing. And then everybody should be doing that. Yeah. This would be a better world. But I can't, I don't even, I don't get angry about any of it. I don't get up, I don't get upset. I just understand what's going to happen out there is going to happen. And I try to keep my little world happy. You're a good man. Yeah. <laughs> I get angry when people do wrong, when people do bad things, I get angry. Because I almost like. I don't I, do anything, but I, you know. There's I, a part I, of me that's like, why even let them make me angry, right. you know? Why even let them, like that's. Stay away from it. Don't, Negativity, yeah. You know, because it'll it'll get you, and then it's like, then they win. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I I have so much trouble just staying out of depression that I I like when I get into a good groove where I'm like I'm not depressed right now. I'm clinging on to that. I'm like I'm not letting anybody get get that take that away from me. You and know? you live in that world, so comedy does that. Mm -hmm. So you live in comedy now. It's basically your life is about happiness. I try to make it that way. Do it. Try as much as you can, as much as possible. I think uh, we're ready to jump into this philosopher for Let's the Let's do it. Rest I hope of I our... can handle this. This sounds pretty important. <laughs> so we have a guy. See, you in... got it written on paper there. So this is yes, sir. This is a tough question. If it's on paper, ladies and gentlemen, it's tough. <laughs> you got your whole life on paper. Oh, there you go. <laughs> okay. <I'm... laughs> How many notebooks do you have at this point? It's got to be in the hundreds, right? Maybe a hundred. Yeah? Yeah. Because um, there's a hundred sheets on each, in each pad. And um, yeah, I think I have about a hundred. I think Seinfeld maybe has 200. Do you archive them? Do you organize them? Like, no, I don't. Like Joan Rivers? That's well, got to be a great system. Going huh? back to Carlin, because I know that he used to like break them down into index cards and on different subjects. I and think then that's organize what she them. That was that school. Yeah. She and, uh, and, and George. And you could just go in and find any jokes and... And they could take, what's good about them and what I'm doing now? I've been doing it for 40 years. I got some jokes that's too damn funny to throw away. So guess what I'm going to do? I'm bringing them back. Because young kids like you, you haven't heard them. That's right, yeah. I did a joke the other day somebody reminded me of about my brother in Atlanta. This is joke 15 years ago. He, worked, he got fired at his job working at Honey Baked Ham. 
I'm going, how the hell can you get fired working at Honey Baked Ham? Honey Baked Ham is only open three days a year. Easter, Thanksgiving, and Christmas, right? He's calling in sick. Let me tell you something. You know? <laughs> so, so I'm bringing that back now and put it together with another bit I have now about Honey Baked Ham. So, yeah. So everything on the little index card, Joan Rivers, I, I think it's on TV. She must have a whole wall. She had a whole wall just going and get these jokes to me, yeah. all these subjects. Uh, I don't do that, but I do have the pads. So. George had folders in his iPhone. Where, where That's what, yeah. He would organize these categories. And he always really had a, a sheet of paper with him on stage, too. Yeah. Yeah, so he was just, as you look back, you just think, oh, my God, he was so good. Yeah. Everybody was so good. You look back, Bernie Mac was so fantastic. You look back, everybody was so good. Of course, everybody was saying Richard Pryor. It's so many so goods out there. Did you work with Richard? Yeah. I didn't work with him, but, you know, I followed him on stage at the comedy store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That must have been a tough act to follow. We did not know that. We did not know that back in the day. Yet guys, myself, Jay Leno, Robin Williams, Elaine Boozler, all of us young guys back in the day when we were just starting, we didn't know what we were doing. Mm-hmm. We were just proud to get on stage, follow anybody. All of the guys would come stop by. Uh, Rodney Dangerfield would stop by. We were happy. We knew it was tough. That's why we wanted wanted to be sure, in the business. Build resistance strength. Sure. And, and and older guys like us, you know, we just like to work. And it doesn't matter who it is. We can go on stage. We can follow anybody. I went on after Chappelle once, and uh, that was a pretty humbling experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's... But, well, the difference in what you did, because Dave had probably already done an hour. Yeah, he'd done several... He he came in and and hosted the show and started bringing us up. Okay, sure, that's cool. I'll tell the story because it's really good. I mean, I Dave is killing, killing, right? And it's mostly, you know, people are coming in off the streets in the village. It's become right. mostly a black audience, right? And so I thought it'd be funny if I went up and I opened with, "Here's what I hate about black people," you know? And Just your first, you thought and, you thought it was gonna be funny, didn't you? And it did. It killed. Okay, that killed because it was like it was obviously, you know. Mm-hmm. And then I went into my act from there. And and I died. Nothing, huh? And you remember I, that, don't you? And I'm looking, and Chappelle's in the audience, and I'm like mortified. I felt, you know, that feeling when you're really bombing, when the drops of sweat start going down your back, and you're like, you'll never oh, forget man, that, will you? I didn't know my back could sweat like that. You know, you'll never forget that, will you? And, and yeah, and I'll tell you what a guy Dave was. He he comes back up, and I just wanted I just wanted to bury my head in the ground, and he just focused on the one line. He goes. Here's what I hate about black people. As an opening line from a white guy, <laughs> yeah. is cosmically funny. Yeah, right. <laughs> and there he just go. went on and on about the one thing I did right, and exactly. and and like it was. I knew the rest of it was horrible. He knew the rest of it was horrible, but he but just he, ma- he, he, he knew what positive. he meant to me, you know. Yeah. And uh, and he just was like, "Let me make this guy not want to kill himself right now." <laughs> And, uh, well, I'm glad you brought that up because you do, you'll never forget that day, right? Yeah. You probably won't bomb that bad again in your life. Yeah, probably not. I had that experience like I was in comedy maybe less than a year. Some guy thought I was good in New York City. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. No comedian know what they're doing within a year. So he took me up to the Neverly up in the Catskills. Toughest audience in the world, Jewish or black crowd. Mm-hmm. I go up to the Neverland. I was, you know, when first starting, you're, you're doing old jokes. You may have stolen a joke here or there or something like that. And I'm on stage, and 
in the Jewish audience, they've heard every goddamn joke you could think of. And to do 45 minutes, I was hot in the clubs. I thought I had to go to Reverend George Wallace with a robe and a high. What do you call the thing in your neck? High? What do you call it? I, uh, I don't know. You're not Jewish? I'm Jewish. You do know what the thing hanging off oh, your neck is. Oh, I thought you were talking about a, a, a reverend. A high. A yeah. high. Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah. I had yeah, that, yeah. and I had my had a telephone book. Is the, the good book of Bell. That was my Bible. Okay. I was up there. I thought I was good. <laughs> I went on stage for 45 minutes. I didn't get one laugh. 45 minutes. Not one laugh. Jeez. Now, you think you didn't want to commit suicide. I had to drive across the Tappanzee Bridge. <laughs> no, this is worse than my mother's funeral, son. This was bad. The worst bomb. I've, nobody will ever bomb like this. 45 minutes, nothing. It's driving back. It's, and it's a long drive, isn't it? Mm-hmm. One mile is a long drive. If you bomb back, it's just because it's just like you want to you kill yourself. It's a, I don't want to say it like that, but it's pretty bad. But one thing I did learn... I went back to the Neverly like four years later. Old Jewish lady tapped me on the shoulder. Much better this time, hey? Because <laughs> <laughs> I had learned I was better. But what I did learn, and I hope you learned the same thing, I'll never bum that bad again, no matter how bad it gets. Yeah. It ain't going to be that night. Yeah. And you can tend to walk away. And I'll notice it may not be me. I would always blame me, but sometimes it is the crowd. Sometimes it is the audience. And sometimes you don't know what has happened before you hit the stage. Mm-hmm. And when you work a lot, especially the comedy clubs. Now, when you do a concert, people come to see you. Nine times out of ten, nine and a half times out of ten, you're going to have a good show. Because people are paid yeah. to see you. They want to hear you. Yeah. Yeah, but the, at the comedy club, and you're trying out new material, it could go either way. I heard a story about you that the power went out once and you put on a flashlight on your face and just kept doing the show. Is that right? I did that twice. I did it one night at the, uh, I did it with Tom Jones one time with 15,000 people in the audience. Power went off and then the man gave me, that was when the flat screen TVs first came out. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the promoter bought me one because I said, put the, give me a, uh, uh, what do you call it, a blow horn? What do you call that thing? Uh, I don't know. Some kind of phone. My, uh, Megaphone. Oh, 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 megaphone, yeah. And I did the show. The lights were out. Put the lights on me, a flashlight on there, and we held, held the audience because it was dark. Uh-huh. People would have panicked. So I did it with that and then saved the show. He said, you saved me $50,000. Wow. And at this time, I was just going, well, thank you so much for the, for the $1,500 television. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I did it one time at the Coming in Magic Club, Powers Off. Put flashlights on me, keep the show rolling. Yeah. No need to stop the show. I've had heart attacks while I was on stage. Keep your eyes on me. You're not a doctor. You're not the wow. medical team. Let's keep rolling. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so yeah. I've had Do you some talk moments. about the heart attack when people yeah, have Yeah, I talk them? about the yeah. Well, just to clarify, you yourself have not had heart attack. You've had audience members have yes. heart attacks. Yes, I yes. know. When I said that, you're going to ask me that. Yeah, <laughs> I've had heart attacks. I always say it like that. Because yeah. <laughs> at a certain point, you got to get off stage. You're having a heart attack, but I worked right yeah. through it. <laughs> but yeah, I've had three of them happen So during the show. Yeah. Wow. But uh, I'm blessed. Did the people pass away from the shows? No, I, I didn't. I didn't kill that night, but I. Yeah, that's a that's a tough <laughs> position close, to, yeah. to be in. Yeah, yeah. but uh, life is good. They can, people have come back to the shows. Yeah, you know, I was sick that night when that was me. Yeah. Wow. So, all right. Well, here here's the 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 scoop on the philosopher. Let's go for it. Uh, Alex Fisella, a very funny comic in New York, picks out our philosophers. Okay. And he sets us on a mission together. I haven't seen this yet before you. Okay, really? 
Yeah, because it's fresh that way. For I hope I can answer these questions because this sounds tough. There's no questions. It's all okay. full. That's the Let's good go. thing about philosophy. You can't be wrong. You okay. just philosophize. Let's do it. He chose uh, Montesquieu for, for you. And he says, what you have in common, he says, George almost ran for mayor of Las Vegas. So I picked a political philosopher. Is that right? You 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 were going to be the, the you went for mayor or you wanted to run for mayor? Do that bullshit for a living. I say that and next thing you know, I want to be president. And people tell me, I talk so much shit. That I can, you know, I was in China and some lady come up to me after the show. Well, now, how did you enjoy Shanghai? Well, what the hell are you talking about? She said on stage, that's lady. I just make up shit on stage. So me running for mayor, never. You know, I just talk about that when I'm in Las Vegas. You know, I could come here in Los Angeles sure. talk about what's going on in Los Angeles. Let somebody do something stupid here. I was yeah. talking about the fires, you know. Last night, you know, I call Los Angeles the land of earth freaks, much lines and divorce. That's three disasters in which a man can lose his house. Uh-huh. I just make up shit as I'm talking. So you never had any real political the Hell, I'm going to be a mayor and lose money like me running for president. You think I'm going to quit making the money I'm making to be president of the United States? If I was president, yeah, if when I'm president, Chick-fil-A going to be up on Sunday. I don't give a damn. I'm just making up shit, and people think it's serious. The yeah. hell I want to be mayor for? A comedian took you seriously here, Alex. That's uh, stupid, yeah. Why would, why would I want to sit down? Can, well, can you imagine going to an office at 8 o'clock in the morning, standing there all day, and people calling your office even after that, yeah. being mayor of the city? It's about some pothole in the damn street. Are you kidding? Yeah, I'm running for mayor. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we can still work with it. You because- tell him to go to hell first. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> We've never had this before. He's usually pretty good with his... Uh, he fucked up this time, <laughs> yes. didn't he? <laughs> Here you are running for mayor. Get the hell I want to be a mayor. I got to clock in and go to work and get up in the morning. I'm a night person, first of all, okay? <laughs> he can run it at night. Yeah, which would probably be better because you see what's going on in the city. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Question number B. <laughs> so here, here we'll we'll still learn about Montesquieu and see if there's some stuff that speaks to you. Okay. Uh, Montesquieu de- defines three political systems. He talks about republican, monarchical, and de- despotic. I you can't even pronounce the word, can you? Oh, I can barely read. I never heard it. <laughs> I never heard the word. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? I don't know. Well, well, let's find out. Is it Republican? Uh, what? He goes, Republican systems are democratic and give broad rights to citizens. The distinction between monarchy and despotism. Hinge- Dude, stop. Move on to the next question. <laughs> well, what the hell are you talking we're about? We're going to find out what it okay, is. Okay, go ahead. Uh, he goes, the, the <laughs> distinction between monarchy and despotism hinges on whether laws exist to restrain the ruler. If so... It is a monarchy, if not despotism. Hmm. The difference between a monarchy and despotism is whether or not laws exist to restrain the ruler. Mm-hmm. So if there, so if it if if there are, then it's a monarchy. Okay, so I guess despotism is kind of like um, a dictatorship. A dictatorship. Yeah. He's probably hinting at Trump. Well, right now, right now, I think. At most, you have a monarchy. Uh, you have at most right now at yeah. this point, but yeah. it's it, it's it, it's leading toward a dictatorship. Despotic. That's that's despotic. Yeah. Whatever you just said. Or yeah. despotic. I guess. Ladies and gentlemen, George Wallace has never heard these words before. Uh, this is this is as bad as me watching. <laughs> what the hell do? Why do I watch Jeopardy? Who? Why am I just listening with the questions? I don't know the shit, right? Yeah. <laughs> and every now and then I'll hit one. Like, but this is the same thing as me watching Jeopardy, just looking. Yeah. And I don't remember. 
But the good answer to the question was, I don't know anything, but I watch it pretty much every day. I don't know. I must be the dumbest person in the world. I need to go back to school. Well, Despotic. No. What the fuck is despotic? I guess despotic is like a monarchy with no uh, laws keeping the, the person. Okay. Uh Driving each system is a principle. This principle motivates citizen behavior to support that regime. Okay. For republics, the principle is love of virtue, selflessness. Uh, for monarchies, it's the love of honor, the desire to attain rank and privilege. Well, you're still that, talking about so, Trump. Yeah, that's monarchy. Yeah. What is it? What do you call it? A narcissistic? Same thing. The word probably will go there somewhere. It's about being honored. It's about me. It's about I, love. It's about yeah. I'm not about the love part. But the I love think, of me. I think I think what he's looking for is love. That's what I think you this think is so? all about. Yeah. I think the num I think the the thing that's backwards <laughs> in people who are who are trying to to stop him. I think they could stop him. They're doing it all wrong. This is my opinion. Okay. I think they need. Every time he's protesting and everything, that to him is like, I still have a lot of work to do. But I think if everybody just said, we love you, you're doing great, he'd just resign. I think he'd be like, all right, well, that was, that was good. How old were you when your mind just got up and walked away from you? So that's, that's your theory. That's what you think, right? <laughs> if we all said, you know, you're doing a good job. And it was, is everybody, you think you just walk away? Well, like if everything just works perfectly, if there's nothing to strive for. It doesn't work then like it does, that. Then there's nothing to stick it, around It for. doesn't work like that. It's all about him. What about me? Then it comes back to me. Mm -hmm. You're not doing anything for me. This is all for your pleasure. This is all for your happiness. This is all for your honor. I need some honor, too. Let's honor everybody. Yeah. Oh, I mean, I agree with you. I just think that this is a guy who wants to win everybody over somehow Well, he's doing it way. the wrong way. Well, yeah, but I think I think. And when you do it wrong, then you run into a wall. You cannot do anything wrong <laughs> and, if, and, and if, be right. And if there is no wall, you build it to you, run you, into <laughs> He's the one saying, so you know, and the Mexicans are laughing at him. Yeah. I have to do jokes when I talk, you know. The Mexicans just, just laugh at him because he wants to build a wall, and everybody in the world, the Mexicans are building tunnels. Uh huh. So they don't give a shit about the wall. Sure. It doesn't matter. That's, I don't know, I just, I just want life good for everybody, young man. Go to wherever you're going. Okay. He goes, the English tried to make a republic after the Civil War, but failed because they lacked love of virtue. All governments arise from the same question, how much do your people value each other? Each other. And it doesn't work, does it? No. It should. How much do people value each other? It takes us back to the biblical days. You know, I don't know, I do unto others, you have them do unto you. And it's kind of like, no, I'm going to screw you. I'm going to take your land. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's where we are today. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, it's always been that way. And that's, then you go back to that word you're talking about. Despotism. There you go. This is me. I need more than you. I don't yeah. care about the It sounds the like people. despotism, like you're desperate. Oh, that's what it's taking me to, yeah. yes. That's, that's yeah. where my head is right now. Uh, continue, so, simply. So you're like, you're a guy who wound up getting, you said, so many different things. You got all these different houses. You got everything material that you ever wanted. And I want you to have the same thing. Thank you. Well, you can always just sign it over to no, me. No, I want you to work and get it yourself, but the opportunity is there. Everybody deserves this opportunity. I know. I want to work and get it yeah. myself, to be yeah. honest with you. That's the only yeah. way it would be worth it. But, but I, I mean, what happens when you wind up with all, all the material wealth that you want? What do, what do you— Continue to be happy. Continue to share. It also gives you happiness of sharing your jokes with everybody. 
That's what we do. We give back. Your purpose on earth is to give back. And that's what we do. Yeah. When you go on stage every night, you can't wait to get up there and make somebody happy. You're giving back. This is taking me to um, the joke in your notebook about Jerry Seinfeld, rich, rich, rich. I yes, think said, rich, rich, rich. Rich, rich, rich. Yeah. Um, is there any point to go from rich to rich, rich, rich? Oh, that's, that's Dave Chappelle. What's the difference between 10 million and 50 million, right? I, I, I'm asking you. You got the answer. No. You know, some, some, if, for instance, if I had as much money as my buddy had, let's say if I had $500, $500 million plus, what would I do? I don't think I could hold on to that much money. Not for me personally. There's some other things I could do. Share it. You know, I think uh, Bill Gates does a good job of doing that. And he's still got $500 million, $5 billion, whatever, too, yeah. all that. Um, what's the difference? Yeah, just that's, that's as long as everybody's happy around me, mm -hmm. give back. That's why I go back to uh, to the president now that we were talking about, where he's got all the money in the world. Yes, sir. To to me, the only thing I can imagine that he wants is love and respect. That's got to be the motivating factor behind it. You know, the the means to be. it is obviously mean, yeah. a, a train wreck, right. but. But that's got to be what's motivating this. Well, he's 71 years old now, and if he doesn't uh, change soon, he's not going to uh, get that love and respect that he's looking for. My problem is I feel like I have everything I want, and I don't have anything. I, I, I don't, I don't Wait, Hold on a second. What did you just say? I said, I feel like I have everything I want, and I don't have anything. And that's all you need. Yeah. As the Beatles would say, all you need is love. That's yeah. That's all you need. My problem is... My brother in Atlanta, they work for General Motors. They make $60,000 a year. I make, and you make, and Jerry make 10 times as much. But they got two cars in the garage. They got a home. They got kids. They got food on the table. Yeah. What else do you need? It's a shame because I feel like it, it hurts me in terms of motivation. You know, I lied to you a minute ago when I said I want to, I want to make all that money too. I just said it because I feel like I'm supposed to say it. Dude, you're not supposed to. You, know, you can't make all the money in the world. When I started, they said there was guys in Las Vegas making $300,000 a year. You know what I said? That's good enough for me. Can't you live very well off $300,000? Oh, making yeah. as much as the president of the United States? That would be more What difference does it matter? You don't have to make $5 million. You don't have to be at the top of the mountain. Just be on your way up the mountain. Yeah. It's the greatest way you can live. You're just hustling, just making money, making money for what? Right now, I got a problem. I got money in the bank, and I know I better spend this shit. Yeah. What am I going to leave it for somebody to fight over? This right here, to me, is more valuable than, than money or anything. Don't else. ever forget that. Enjoy your life. Enjoy your family. Enjoy your friends. Yeah. You got as much as I have, as much you have, as much as Chappelle has. If you got happiness in your life, that's all you need. Yeah. That's all you need. And you can go out and laugh if you have kids and whatever it is, make sure you have F U N. Yeah. Well I wanna have kids. I guess once that that'll probably change things. Once I have kids I'll need more money. Oh, you need a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> you gonna you'd be surprised what a parent needs, man. Kids going to school, it never stops. Yeah, that'll that'll kick it back into gear, I guess. But the good thing about it is you can make that money. Yeah. And continue having fun. It can happen. Thank you. Well, yeah. 
I, uh, it I, will happen because you have no choice. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, the more I put myself up against the wall, the more I'll probably see the thing that's fascinating to me is you, you're so motivated without having to be. To me, like, I need something <laughs> to, to make me do something. Like, and you have something. You keep working. Like It'll I, be there. I, yeah. Maybe I better have a kid or something. Maybe have know? a kid or buy a house. Yeah. As long as you're having fun. Yeah. Whatever it is, travel. Yeah. Whatever satisfies your needs. And just love what you're doing. Enjoy your life. Mm-hmm. Not a day I don't wake up happy. That's great. Even then, even if you have some problems, because you're going to have problems and roadblocks wherever you go. There's going to be detours in the road. Just go around them, but never forget, all of the detours, you get back on that highway. You keep driving. Yeah. To your destination. I think that's good advice. Yeah. I have here uh, a quick paragraph. Oh, God, he's got another one of those I questions. Know, I know, I know. It's going to drive me crazy philosophy. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So here's a paragraph by Montesquieu. Political liberty is a tranquility of mind arising from the opinion each person has of their safety. I'll take that line again so that we can Please sort do. of process it and this is the break it up into pieces. Comedic test I've ever had in my life. I don't <laughs> think I'm going to get to this. When is the bell going to ring? All right, political liberty. We know what that is, right? More or less. More or less. I t- dude, I'm a marketing guy. I'm all about bullshit. Yeah. This is... <laughs> <laughs> all right, so let's bullshit through it. How do you other comedians it? handle this? <laughs> it's, it's always different, you know? That's, it's always different, every comedian. Yeah, yeah. It, that's, that's kind of the fun of it, you know? Um, political liberty is a tranquility, tranquility of mind. Yes. Arising from the opinion each person has, has. of their safety. Yes. So again, okay. So that now so it's that starting just to tells make you, sense. I just told you, I'm doing what I want to do. My tranquility is to make people happy. I'm doing in, in the right direction. I'm going up the mountain. I'm sharing it with people. I'm enjoying life. Ah, but and you know I what? If you enjoy life, let's do this. Let's share it together. You know why this is interesting? Because we were talking about the fact that you were getting angry for the first time because of politics, because of the way somebody else thinks, right? And they're going in the wrong direction. And making so, other people think wrong, wrongly so, so. It's hurting your tranquility of mind. So it's because um, it, it's got you because worried for your safety. Because someone philosophy is working against me. Right. Yeah. So, so it's that's got you worried about your safety. Whereas somebody else who, let's say, is a Trump supporter would not be upset because they're not worried about their safety. Yes, they are. They're worried about me, though. But but they're not they worried were, in his hands they're, they're about usually their safety, right? Yeah. They're usually against other people. They're against other people. Those are the supporters that want to hurt other people, deprive people. So that's the other end of that. Right, right. But but in terms of this sentence, when a certain person takes power, your political liberty, your tranquility of mind is affected based on how, how you perceive their power is going to affect your safety. Exactly. And my safety is... Uh, you just that explained it. Whatever you read explained everything about me and you. Something he's going to sometimes for the Trump supporters, they hate other things. So most of them is kind of like the Republicans hate the Democrats. Mm-hmm. So those are the opposites there. I don't even know how to explain this, but try go for it. Well, that's what we're talking about. It's going to, with the 
God is changing my life and because I think he's hurting people. And I don't want to see this in America. America has never been where it is today. Divided. Your job is to bring people together, never to divide. Mm -hmm. So yeah, my safety is to bring people together, don't take us apart. So this is, in, in that way, this explains everything about you? In a way, yes. Can you? Uh, no, I cannot elaborate on it. <laughs> All right. That's it. Okay, okay. All right, so see, you're already doing great, by the way. This is... It, I don't know how I'm doing. I don't care how I'm doing. What I figured out... <laughs> look, I was a terrible student in school, and... Uh, I can tell that. Keep going. Thank you. <laughs> you I, I, was, I was diagnosed with attention deficit disorder, and when I was a kid, that I, I was made to believe I was dumb. You are dumb. Yeah. So am I. But dumber than... But we're making more money than they are, the people that told us. <laughs> But, but when I started getting into this, what I realized is that all these things that seem intimidating, that seem like they're beyond my intelligence, they're not. They're not. They're just written in code to make you feel like make you can't you, understand exactly. them. Exactly. But when you unpack them and you break them down, these are just concepts that you and I uh, throw around at a table when we're, when we're eating but lunch. You know, this is, none of it is beyond us. It's just written in a way to try and keep us away from it. Yeah, well, you should be teaching a class <laughs> at UCLA. None of this. <laughs> And then all the kids, all the students go, what the fuck did he just say? <laughs> <laughs> just explain it the way you want to explain it, and you're right. Yeah. In order to have this liberty, he goes on to say, it is requisite. It, it is, is requisite? It is, it is requisite. Yeah, it is, it is requisite the government be so constituted as one person need not be afraid of another. I'm going to try and make that understandable. No, you need to move into another subject. Well, I, I'm, I'm not trying to be smart. There's after. only one last line. I'll give it a shot. One last Let's line. See. Give it a shot and show you how a comedian settles this. <laughs> uh, only one thing can form this bond between men. Only one thing can form this bond between men. Okay, that's easy so far. Not really. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> and that is gratitude. And that's gratitude. I just told you that. We went to that. Thank yeah. people, help people, love people. And that's what it's all. It's gratitude. So you're saying the same thing as Montesquieu, by the way. Okay, thank you. So for somebody. <laughs> somebody. It's good to know somebody supports my thinking. Yeah. He says, we cannot give someone else greater power over us than we, we have, have ourselves. Yep. I knew that. So? You knew this. Why are you repeating this to me? Okay, well. This is how uh, life is. It takes us right back to where we started. Do unto others as you have them do unto you. Right. You be you, I be me, and we all going to be happy. It is exactly your philosophy that you were saying, but it boils down to gratitude. And let's go back to the Beatles. All you need is love. Then to the, let's go back to uh, the greatest song ever written by Carol King. Do you know what that is? Which, which song? Beautiful. Let's play on Broadway right now. You got to get up every morning with a smile on your face mm -hmm. and show the world all the love in your heart. And the people are going to treat you better. And you're going to find, yes, you will, that you're beautiful. You're beautiful as you feel. Just that simple. I love it. Too. I got these three quotes to round off the show. Oh, God, this guy's still not finished. <laughs> useless laws weaken the necessary laws. Useless laws. Why do we have useless laws to weaken the laws that we really need? Explain that to me, sir. Talk to me. 
Uh, well, I mean, it's a philosophy, I but I imagine that it, I, I think it's true. I think the more, but of course, because it dilutes it basically. That's yeah. exactly what it says. Weakens. Go ahead. That's what. Yes, yeah, so, that's what dilutes me. <laughs> <laughs> Continue to me, please. Well, he's just saying basically, when you have certain things that need to be there, and you add extra things, you're taking away the power from the things exactly that. So, so yeah, I feel that way when people are asking the president. A journalist is asking the president a question, and just like it's like five pieces of the question going on. How many? What? Just ask one question instead of they keep adding. On, and what do you think about it? And the blah 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 blah. And the and the guy's going like, okay, what did you just say? You got to be really good when you answer those questions up there. Yeah, because you got to ask. There's four questions in one. Be direct. Yes. And I always found that when they were interviewing the candidates, like before the election, <laughs> I, I'm serious. I, yes, of course. I, I, that that. You know, they, the politicians, they, they learn how to not answer the how question. not answer the question. But why, can, why didn't anybody just sit and press them on the question? Like, the, that's not what I asked. This is the question. It's getting like that today. Uh, what's this guy named on CNN? Uh, he's saying, just answer the question. Anderson yeah. Cooper's getting uh, CNN is pretty straight on that. Just answer the question. Don't, go, don't beat around the block. Basically, give me a yes or no. Yeah. That's all we need is a yes or no. Do you support him or not? Is he lying or not? Did he did he use those words? Did he use shithole or not? Yeah. Well, I don't recall. Yes, you do. Yeah. Straight question. Straight question. Yeah. Yes, you do. All right. We have two more. Oh, this is not true. People have the government they deserve. That's what that's what he says. That's what he says. Speak to me on this. Do you think the people have the government they deserve? The government involves a lot. Taxation. Um, uh, insurance. Uh, the government is not in control of your life, but it certainly has quite a bearing. Quite on a bearing, it. yes. Yeah. That's a good question because I wonder that. That's sometimes. my answer. That's what I would have said. I'm interviewing you now. That's yes. what I would have said. <laughs> <laughs> well, you you already said that you don't think it's true, but. I don't know. I don't know, because I think, you know, we've brought up George Carlin a few times on this show, and uh, I remember, you know, I used to listen to to what he'd say and think about it quite a bit, and he'd talk about how this country was, you know, going down the drain. Don't get too caught up too much in it, because at the moment, he's in, he has your thought, he has your head. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you can... Um, dissect what he's saying and go, once you're caught up in a comedian's thought, that is my job to get you to think with me. But at some point, you're going to have to rationalize and say, well, maybe not totally. Right, right. Yeah, I agree. Maybe not. But right, right now, we're just laughing right now. We're just laughing at that joke. Just, but he said a lot of things. A lot of comedians say things. You'll just, Bill Maher say some things. But you're thinking about it in here. Not really. But it's, it's kind of like going to church or going to the temple. Mm -hmm. the, the minister's always going to say something that may be true, and you go, but I don't agree with it. Right. It may different a different opinion than mine, but you go along with it for right now. But I thought he had a point. I thought, you know, I did feel like the country was kind of going slowly around the drain. And and I, I think this is a continuation of that. And that, I think That's it's, what I was going to say. It's still yeah. continuing. Yeah. I think... To spiral. You know, and you look at the country... This is a country that doesn't provide health insurance for people. 
mentioned that word before tonight in church. Yeah, it it doesn't it doesn't care about its sick. Is a country that's consumed with with capitalism, consumed with with everywhere you look is a strip mall. Uh, it's shopping everywhere. Sometimes I feel like I live in a kiosk in a mall and living in L.A. Everywhere around me is stores and stores and stores. It's just people are just very. And and then I, I think like it's is people are not worried about the safety of others. Everybody get gets guns and shoots each other up. Now I'm not talking. This is too general. There's plenty it's of good people general. out it's there. Like, it's, it's good. It's not you're going in the right direction. All of that is good. You know, like you mentioned, people getting guns and killing people. And we've already had 11 shootings in schools this year. Already yeah. 11. Well, we're doing fine on gun control. We're doing fine. Yeah. You mentioned Amazon. You mentioned General Motors. You mentioned all of these countries that make billions of dollars a year. Why is anybody sick and insurance? And why can't some of those monies be directed? And this is the greatest country in the world, right? So why shouldn't all this money you was talking about earlier, all of this wealth? Why shouldn't this money? Why should Amazon have the billions and billions of dollars and don't? We don't have proper health care in the country. Yeah, am I going the wrong direction with that? No, I mean that's what I'm saying. And I, I like I worked in an old age home for a while. I feel like you could. You're not old you, enough to work in the old way. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt like you could figure out everything from a country because I worked in an old age home in Israel, and then I worked in an old age home here in America, and I even worked a little bit in an old age home in the UK, but not for very long, just for a mm-hmm. day or two. But but actually spending time in these places in Israel and in America, but you could learn a lot from a country by how they treat their old people, and we do not treat our old people well. Um, Ooh, dude, that is so good. What a great point there. And the the people that help build the country, and it's uh, once they get people, I don't even know how to say I'm touched now, because old people get up age, nobody wants to help them, even family members. But it's kind of like me. I will take every dime of my Social Security money that's due because I put it in the system and I want it back. And I think the government should take care of old people, health-wise. That should be, matter of fact, that should, should be some of your greatest days in life. The government should take care of you Yeah. in the best way. I had a joke at one point where I was talking about collecting antiques and antiquities, collectibles. And I'd be like, if you have a lunchbox and you have a person, at some point in your life, you look at the person as an American, you go, wow, that person's worth way more than this, this tin lunchbox. But if you fast forward 70 years, that lunchbox becomes really worth a lot. Everybody wants that. It's collectible. That old person, nobody wants him. You know, right, and they, right. they, they're trying to get rid of him. It's backwards. People become less collectible. It's, so in that way, I do think maybe this country has the government they deserve. Maybe it's, maybe it's the shakeup and the wake-up that, that they need. Sometimes we think that. Maybe this is good that we have this guy in office to wake up and the shake up that we need. A lot has happened, especially for the women. You know, if it were not for Trump grabbing the people, the private part, mm-hmm. we probably wouldn't have all these ladies coming out saying, I was sexually abused or assaulted, or whatever. Yeah. So you, you, you may be right and that you are right and uh, in some ways that maybe we deserve this right now and this time. Yeah, I and mean, the long I, run is going to be for the better. I know that. I remember hearing something once about like how the idea of God is that God is light, 
And if God is pure light and the whole world is God, then how is there darkness? And it says that God does a kindness by creating darkness so that we seek light. Because he knows sometimes you need the darkness to, to find the light. To see the light at the end of the tunnel. That's how I feel about it. And that's the right way. You just described that perfectly. And we want to thank you this day. And I hope <laughs> America has learned from you. You have been wonderful. Uh, I've learned a lot from you today. And I want to thank you so much for the for well, the opportunity to learn from you today. And I'm sure our listeners has learned. I'm George Wallace. I'm, uh, and, uh, <laughs> he's signing off. I I'm think we had one more, but well, he's you, trying to escape. You want to do the last one? I'll do the last this one. This on finishing. Sometimes you got to close the show without finishing the goddamn show. Sometimes you got to get off stage. You know, you can't do the punchline. Right, you just right. got to let it go. So what's that last one? It's number one. If in a state... If in a state... You do not hear the noise of conflict, be sure... That freedom is not there. Well, that just speaks exactly, exactly to what, what Exactly. Just, That's why I took them backwards, because yes. I knew it would come back to, you're and a, we already answered all of the questions. You're a brilliant man. I appreciate I'm trying, it. I, you know, I went to night school. You know, I told you that before. I'm not <laughs> yeah. the smartest person in the world. Well, so you're, you're plenty smart to me. I, well, en- I enjoyed talking to you. I want to learn more. I would like to go back to school. I really, this, this is something that, uh, uh, and I, I grew up in marketing and advertising. I was taught back in the day. Never speak where people understand you. Always speak where they don't misunderstand you. Make it as simple as possible. Make it as simple. As, and you notice I use a lot of simple words. And sometimes I was listening to Dennis Miller and go, what the fuck is he talking about? So, so, yeah. But now I feel like, do I need to know those? My diction is not as good as it should be. So that's why I want to go back to school second. I, I think I heard a quote from you somewhere where you said that your parents told you that life is a shit sandwich and that... Did you hear that? Yeah. My dad told me that. Learn everything you can, make all the bread that you can, because life is like a shit sandwich. And the more bread you have, the less shit you got to eat. Dude, what did you hear me say that? That's cool. I don't remember, but I... I did say that. That just came to me that... Because I listen when you talk, you know, and... uh, That is so cool, because very seldom I say that I'm not in the right place, because I never use... Did I say crap sandwich before? I love I to say shit remember. sandwich. I don't remember. No, but, you said it right at first, shit yeah. sandwich. Thank you so much. Because I remember when I heard that, I thought it was pretty cool because it, it's 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 about learning. The bread is the learning. You the know? bread is the learning. And I think that that's kind of what I hope to do with this show is to give people bread some bread. The more bread you have, yeah. the less shit you got to eat. Yeah. Don't ever forget that. Learn everything you can. Make all the money you can. Yeah. Education and money. Well, thank you. Hopefully hopefully we had some good bread here today. My name is George Wallace. They call me Dr. George Wallace. <laughs> I love you, and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. I'm Dr. Danny Lobel, keeping you on bread. <laughs> with your, <laughs> with your you punk ass. <laughs> <laughs> Ple- pleasure Dr. breaking bread with you. God bless you. Thank you so much. Something Thanks. good's going to happen to you, whether you like it or not, okay? Thank you. Thank you. All right, everybody. Thanks to George Wallace. Thanks to you guys for tuning in. And if you're going to make a donation at moderndayphilosophers.net, I would very much appreciate that. You can hear my dogs rattling around in the background. I'm on my way to the program right now, just heading out after I hit stop on the record. Going to heal. Going to take care of myself. Going to try and take the next step. So hope you're rooting for me.
Anyway, uh, the comic book, Fair Enough, that I put out is also available, fairenoughcomic.com. Please pick up an issue if you haven't already. I think you'd really enjoy it. And thanks to those who came out to the Egmont Comedy Festival in my backyard. It was really fun. I think we had about a total of 200 people that came for the weekend, and uh, it, was, uh, it was a blast. We had a great time, and that was uh, my last hurrah before going into treatment. So uh, that's it, everybody. Um, Take care of yourselves. I'll be taking care of myself. And hit me up if you want to say hello. The comical at yahoo.com. Thanks again to Logan Heftel, who does the mastery of the audio, and Alex Fasella, who picks out our philosophers, who curates them so well. Uh, I'll see you guys next time with another exciting and jam-packed episode of Modern Day Philosophers. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.